0: My name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting with us for the very first time. Also, welcome to anybody who uh, is listening to us through our website or through our podcast. And even if you're you're here for the first time in a long time, greetings to all of you and everybody else. Um, I am delighted to be here with you this morning uh, because you notice that there's a big horse trough right in the center of the room. Uh, We're having a bit of a pool party today uh, because it's Baptism Sunday. And we get really excited about Baptism Sunday because as we talk about all the time, uh, baptism is really an important next step in the life of somebody who chooses uh, to uh, make a decision to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. This baptism, as we talked about last week, is an external symbol of something that is going on on the inside of you, It is a willingness to be publicly identified with Jesus Christ. And as we go under the waters of baptism, uh, we are raised to new life as we come out of this watery grave. And so this is a fantastic celebration. I tell our staff that all I need is one person, one person to sign up for baptism. Baptisms and we'll fill this thing up for one person, right? Uh, but we also have gotten in the habit of, as we preach and teach on Baptism Sunday, we know oftentimes the Spirit moves people who hadn't planned to be baptized to uh, actually make a decision to be baptized uh, on today. And so you might say, I would get baptized, but I don't have any extra clothes. Well, we got extra clothes for you. Some of the <laughs> finest clothes that money can buy is on the other side of this wall, actually just some spare You know, stuff we had laying around the house. But it's perfect for being baptized in. And if you uh, came in today and you said, man, I want to make a decision to be baptized, Uh, I I, want to cement my decision to be baptized, you are uh, um, more than welcome to do that. Uh, Ramon, right here, Ramon, could you raise your hand? Uh, Ramon is our student ministries coordinator. Uh, He will, if you are interested in being baptized on the spot today, you will uh, talk to him right after the message, and he'll just ask you a few questions, vet you a little bit, and then he'll show you actually where to change. But Baptism Sunday is a really important thing, and we'll get on with those festivities in a moment, but one, one thing I do want to do before I begin today is we have one of our longtime members who is moving and transitioning on. And what we like to do around here for people who've been here for a while, for people who like their fingerprints are all over this ministry because that they've given, they've served, and they've been such an important part of this. When those people move on, we want to celebrate that. We want to thank them publicly. Here's why we do that. It's because some places you go, nobody can leave, right? Or nobody can leave well, or nobody can leave with a blessing. But here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church, we believe that that some people will be born in this church and die in this church. There will be lifers, right? But the vast majority of people will simply just be passing through our hands for us to steward them well for their next assignment. And so our dear friend, Carice Riles, this is her last uh, Sunday here. She's got, got married. And of course, she's being whisked away to someplace else. But I just wanted to honor Chris and say thank you, Carice, for all the many ways you've served. You've served with our kids. You've led small group. You've done preaching here. You're a faithful member of the tech crew. I know Pastor David is thankful for you uh, filling in there. And so we just want to say thank you. We want to honor you. And if you don't mind, we just like to say a prayer for you and your husband as you enter the next chapter. And so if you've been friends with Carice, if she's blessed you, real quickly just get around her as we say a prayer of blessing. If you don't mind, you can stand, and, and we will... Send you out with the blessing of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this union. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for their futures. I am especially grateful for all the many ways that Cariz has served in this church and been a blessing to others. Um, and so Father, I pray that you would go before them, that you would make the crooked places straight. Father, that you would prepare a place, prepare a community of faith, prepare new friends, a new church community to surround them so that she can use her gifts and her husband can use his gifts, and, but they can also be fed, fed, nourished, and blessed. Father, and I pray that everything that she has poured out into this church will be given back to her 100-fold. Bless her, keep her, make your face to shine on them them both. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So thank you, Caris. <laughs> thank you very much. So let me begin uh, with the message today. I have the privilege of continuing a series that I started last week, a series that we're simply calling Go All In. And the simple premise of this mini-series that started last week and ends today is this, Jesus wants it all, right? He wants all of your life. He's not satisfied with just a corner. He's not satisfied with most of it. Jesus wants it all. And that's important for us to understand as Western, you know, uh, Midwestern suburbanites, we are so, so careful not to invest fully in anything. We love to keep our options open in case something better comes along or we love to keep our options open in case what we'd hope for doesn't pan out. And so we bring that Midwestern uh, sort of uh, risk aversion into faith. And let me just tell you, Jesus simply doesn't like it. When he invites us into faith, doesn't matter if you're eight months or 800 years old, when Jesus invites us to come, he invites us to come and to surrender all of our life to him. Uh, Jesus invites us to take up our cross daily, which is, is an invitation to come and die, right? That, that doesn't sound real attractive, right? They say, you know, if you're trying to get more people to join the church, maybe stop talking about the come and die part. Maybe downplay the sacrifices and the cost. No, I want you to make an informed decision uh, as to whether or not you'll follow Christ. And I just came down here to tell you that Jesus wants it all. Now, we said last week that that seems really grand, that seems really big, it seems really hard, and it is, but to simplify it, we reduce it down to our very next step, and Jesus just wants us to just move one step closer to Him today than we were yesterday. One step closer today than we were yesterday. That's really what God expects. You say, Preacher, what does God expect from me? He wants each and every one of us to take the next step of faith. If you're a non-believer, guess what God wants you to do? He wants you to take the next step of faith. If you're a new believer, what does God want me to do? He wants you to take the next step. You say, what if I'm a lifer? What if, I was, what if I've been in this thing since I was a baby? Fantastic. Same thing. Jesus wants you to take the next step of faith. Move Closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday. And that's how we, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, go all in. Of course, as we discussed last week, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, leading us and guiding guiding us toward those next steps. We also outlined last week that our obedience is usually somebody's answer, right? When we say yes to God, we say yes to his plans and his purposes, and it is a blessing to other people take the next step of faith that's what God expects of us now taking the next step involves your feet, feet or your spiritual feet so to speak today I want to talk to us about your hands taking the next step requires you stepping with your feet but today I want to talk to you about your hands not necessarily your natural hands ladies and gentlemen but the the hands of your life right the hands of your life and the hands of your heart, the things that you hold dear, the people, the places, the things, the hopes and the dreams and I've come down here today to tell you that genuine faith usually requires an emptying of the hands so that we might avail ourselves to what God wants to put in our hands as sure as we can hold loosely to people like Carice who come into our church and go out of it because we know that God is orchestrating this. He's pulling all the strings. It's not for us to be Lord over people's lives. We have an open hand so that what God wants to pass through our hands, we'll use it while we have it, but we'll let it go. If he tells us to let it go... Genuine faith usually requires an emptying of the hands. And this especially happens when you first come to faith, the beginning of life with Jesus, as we'll see in the passage that we discussed uh, today. But it is also the case that our lives of faith are punctuated or peppered with regular reminders to not get too comfortable with the things that are in our hands so that we might make room for what Jesus has for us uh, understanding that we are finite containers we can only hold so much and so it is impossible to hold all our stuff and to also hold all the stuff that Jesus has for us it's it's impossible for me to hold on to my own natural selfish sinful hopes dreams and aspirations and at the same time lay hold of what Christ has planned for me from the beginning of the age I got to let one of those go I got to let something go i got to empty my hands to some degree if I want to live the good life with Jesus. And what I'm speaking about today, if you're new to faith, will be your inauguration to faith. But, but what I'm talking about for the believer is this, the routine maintenance of the heart. The routine maintenance of the heart, which daily, uh, uh, hourly, perhaps minutely asks Jesus, is this still what I'm supposed to have in my hands, or is there something else? And this doesn't speak of dissatisfaction and lacking contentment. This is just a regular heart check to make sure what I'm holding on to is God's best for me at this particular moment of my life. It takes maturity and willful intention to walk that out, whether you're eight months or 800 years old and everything else in between. And so with that in mind on this baptism Sunday, I want to preach a message this morning that I'm simply calling, give it all away. Give it all away. And I understand, of course, that in a room this size, there have got to be somebody in here who has not made a decision to follow Jesus. And please understand that there will be no pressure today. You won't be put on the spot. Nobody will insist that you do anything but respect the person sitting next to you. Uh, I also understand in the room this size, there are people who are all along the spaces in, uh, 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 of the spectrum of faith. I believe, by faith, there is something in here for everybody, if we faithful, if we're faithful, to listen. So I'm calling this message, Give It All Away. I want to look at a passage of Scripture this morning in Luke chapter 18. Meet me in Luke chapter 18 this morning. There are Bibles, by the way, on some of the edges of your rows. Feel free to use that Bible if you just want to interact with a paper Bible and you don't have one of your own. Uh, If, by the way, you don't have a Bible at home that you can understand, feel free to take that Bible as a gift from us to you. And as I often say, if you've gotten in the habit of taking a Bible every week, would you just begin to, just real discreetly, just bring one back every week, okay? You could also interact with the text on your uh, phones or your tablets or your mobile devices. You can do that. We'll also be projecting the words on the screens as we go along today. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 18. While you find that, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for each and every soul represented in this place today. Father, I don't know all their stories. I don't know where they are today. I don't know what's going on in their life, but you do. And you are God of intentionality. There is no coincidence in you. And if somebody's in this house today or somebody's listening to the sound of my voice through some technological advancement, it's because you have drawn their hearts to these words. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir us the way today in the way that we need to be stirred. Move us today in the way, Father, that we need to be moved. Father, I pray that you would put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your life might shine through? We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18, I'll start at verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Uh Uh-oh. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. But when the man heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. He had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of possessions. To, to use the words that we we're already using, he had a lot of stuff in his hands all Ready and I'm and I just going to urge you that if you're under the sound of my voice today, if you're listening to this, that, that you ought to lean in. I know this is a familiar text for some of you. I know you might think you've heard every sermon or know all there is to know about this particular text, but I want to challenge you to lean in. I want to urge you not to take a casual look at this passage today. I bring this to you today so that you might wrestle with this text. You might ask yourself, where am I in this story? Who am I in this story? And what might the master be trying to teach me about myself and about Jesus today? Two characters in the story, Jesus and the rich young man. It's not hard to try to figure out who we are in this story. You're not Jesus, so relax. (laughs) You and me, when we look into this story... When we behold this rich young man with plenty of stuff, his stuff, his prized things in his hands, we are looking, friends, as I often say, in what we're looking in a mirror. This is us. This is our hearts. And this passage carefully il- illustrates how our stuff can and often does get in a way, in the way of a rich and satisfying life with Jesus. I say it again: our stuff can and often does get in the way of a rich and satisfying life with Jesus because it prevents us from going all in and it oftentimes prevents us from taking the next step in faith as it relates to our life with Jesus and so when I look at this text and when I wrestle with this text this week four big questions emerged that I think we're supposed to wrestle with this morning If you want to take a serious look at this passage, if you want to take a serious look at what God might have to say to us this morning through this, I think there are at least, probably more, but at least four big questions that we have to wrestle with this morning. The first question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? There are a lot of important faith questions, friends that really get at the core of our hearts, that really help to locate us uh, on the spectrum of faith, that really tell us a lot about how our life with Jesus will go. Loads and loads of questions, but I think this particular question rises to the top as a really good indicator uh, as to how our life with Jesus will go. And that question simply is, who is Jesus to you? The answer to this, by the way, the honest answer to this tells me everything I know I need to know about how your life with Jesus will go to put it a different way our trajectories of faith are set based on our understanding of who Jesus really is Jesus asked Peter one day in Matthew chapter 16 who do people say that I am he was taking an unscientific poll real quick what's the word about town about me and Peter says, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, others says another prophet, right? He gets a wide range of answers, and if he would have let him go on, he probably got more. Jesus, some people say you're a good guy. Some people are like, I think that's Elijah. I think it's John the Baptist. I think, right? None of them right. But a wide range of responses when asked this question. Jesus says, that's cool and everything, but Peter, who do you say that, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and I'm paraphrasing, bingo. You got it. I'm going to build my church around you, Peter, because you get it, right? It's a very important question. It's a necessary question. And this rich young man comes sort of to Jesus, and he sort of gets schooled on this. Now, Jesus can be kind of weird, in my opinion, and so we have to sort of read in between some of the lines to assess what's really happening here. But verse 18 says, was a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Now, I think Jesus can answer people more directly, I think he could make communicating with him a lot simpler. I think he tends to sometimes complicate things, but he's Jesus, and who am I to argue with Jesus, right? But Jesus takes this sort of roundabout approach to trying to assess who this guy really thought he was talking to. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And I think that's a strange question. And a couple months ago, we were dealing with this passage in our men's Bible study group. And I asked the group, I said, why do you think Jesus asked this question? Why does he answer a question with a question? Why doesn't Jesus just more directly say it? And there were a wide range of answers. But here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is saying that, hey, man, only God is good. And if you're calling me good, are you calling me God? God. Jesus says, we got to define the relationship here. i got to understand who you think I am because who you think I am is going to really be important as it relates to what I'm going to tell you next. And so Jesus is basically saying, are you calling me good or are you calling me God? You want to relate to me today just as a good guy? Or do you want to relate to me as the God guy? Because those are two very different guys. Those are two very different guys. Are you sure about this? Because if I'm just a good teacher with some nice things to say from time to time, that's going to be okay. But my words won't have the weight that they need to have. Even if I'm a prophet, just a prophet who who from time to time accurately hears from heaven, that's good, but that still doesn't have the weight. If I'm just a good dude or some crazy prophetic guy, let's square that away at the outset so that what I'm about to say to you can have the appropriate weight. Am I a good guy or am I the God guy? Because if I'm God... Then you gotta listen to me. If I'm God, then what I gotta say, you gotta put legs on it. If I am God, then even if what I tell you, if what I tell you is something you'd rather not hear, something you'd rather not do, something that cuts against the grain of your plans and the picture you saw for your life, if I'm God, then you have to relate to me as such. And can I just say that as a pastor? This is one of the most maddening things about trying to lead people into deeper places of faith with Jesus. People don't see Jesus as God. They don't see him as Lord. Yes, they might tell you that, but the weight they assigned his words, the optional nature with which they interact with his book, the standards and principles of Scripture that are time-tested, We're looking for an update because, after all, it's 2019. Surely the Lord has something different to say about the sanctity of marriage. Surely he has something different to say about the the, the importance and the sanctity of human life. Surely he has something different to say about our sexuality, about who we can give ourselves to and how we steward our money and how we raise. When is the new version of Scripture going to come out that more accurately reflects... 2019 the challenge is we have not related to jesus as the god guy we simply see him as a good guy and it's simply seeing him as a good guy his words his truth his statutes his principles are just merely options in the parlor of other options they're mere suggestions to be taken or dismissed And we wonder why we don't live the good life. We wonder why there's no joy in our salvation. We wonder why the circumstances of life can blow us and take us any which way. Our souls are not anchored in who Jesus is. And so it is necessary for us to ask and answer the question, who do you think Jesus is? Who is he to you? Is he God or is he just a good guy? And so Jesus, at the beginning of his interaction with this young man, because he has something heavy to lay on him, presents that question. Second question that's equally important, excuse me, what do you think Jesus requires of you? What do you think Jesus requires of you? Now, the next point, I'll just give you a preview, is what does Jesus actually require of you? Uh, uh, But that's not more important than this question, because we have to assess where we've gotten things wrong. We have to ask and answer and deal with and reckon with what we think. Because frankly, many of us, uh, even if those of us who grew up in parochial schools, even those of us who've been in church our whole entire life, we have been woefully miseducated. We've been miseducated. Not by men or women who've had bad intentions. We've simply been miseducated. And I love, I love how Jesus tenderly but yet directly deals with our miseducation. And sometimes our miseducation is a result of just being totally off. You ever hear somebody describe to you a tenet of the faith and you're just like, what book? book? Where'd you get that? That's not even in there. Other times, our miseducation manifests itself in an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is. An incomplete understanding of what Jesus requires of us. And I think that that's where this rich young man lives. And honestly, I think that's where most of us live. We have a a, a picture of who Jesus is, but not not the full picture. We have an understanding of what Jesus requires of us and asks of us, but it's not a full understanding. And frankly, many of us have, have chosen a very convenient menu of what Jesus expects for us. You've lopped off the hard things. We've lopped off the things that doesn't quite compute with our cultural context. And we've just skinny this list down to something that's manageable, something that we can do, something that doesn't put us out too much. We've been missing. Educated, We've been misinformed. And so the young man asked Jesus this question, and Jesus just sort of eases into this thing. He doesn't go right for the jugular. He eases into this thing. He says, well, to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And I, I, again, if I put myself in this picture, and if I play this out in my mind, I, I, I imagine this young man feels a sense of relief. Like, I thought it was going to be more than that. You ever sit down to take a test? Nervous about it? haven't quite prepared? You turn the test over and you go, "Oh, oh, I got this. <laughs> right? I got this. This strikes me as how this is playing out. Jesus eases into this. You know, Jesus loves to lower the boom and just kind of be interesting as he interacts with people. It seems like this guy said, oh, keep, keep, follow the rules. Be a good dude. Oh, since I was this high, I was following the commandments. That's all there is. And if we're honest with us, with with each other and ourselves, we, we might admit to, to our miseducation looking like being, being told that being good is, is, is the key to the good life. Being good is the key to eternal life. Being good, or at least better than the people around you, are, is the key to pleasing God. And so in that sense, our faith has been reduced to box-checking. Our, 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 our faith has been reduced to, to and defined by what we don't do rather than what we should be doing and as a lifer as a church boy that was a church boy and I liked it you know I talked to a lot of preachers kids church kids and they were like I hated the second I get away from my house and I didn't have to go to church that wasn't me I didn't mind it I liked going to church. I liked the sense of sort of self-righteous comfort that it provided. I sat in church my whole life, and there was a significant chunk of that where I had perhaps unconsciously reduced faith to being good, keeping the rules, walking straight lines, and so Jesus lays this out, keep the commandments. Dude's like, problem solves. I got this, right? And so I think that you might ask the question of yourself this morning and let this text ask what do you think it takes to receive eternal life? What do you think Jesus requires of you? I think you're supposed to wrestle with this a little bit and be honest. Because most of us would give an incorrect or an incomplete answer with this. And some of us aren't quite geared to being totally honest about this. And so if I were to look at your life and how you steward your resources and how you make your decisions, I could tell you with a greater degree of certainty what you think Jesus requires of you but there's a third question in this text that i think is equally important and that question is i teased it a minute ago what does jesus actually require of us what does jesus actually want from us I told you before, sometimes, you know, this feels like I sit down to a test that I didn't really prepare for. I looked at the first few questions. I was like, oh, I got this. And then I turned the test over, and there was like the essay questions. <laughs> now, the multiple choice questions, you can kind of, okay, this jarred my memory. The answers are sitting right here. Now remember, okay, is, you know, Lithuania is, yeah, that's the answer, yeah. But it's a little harder on them essay questions, right? Well, you got got to know, right? It's a little harder. And so it feels like he passed the first page one of the test. but Jesus flips the page over, and there's a harder, more challenging version of this text. The man says, I have uh, obeyed this commandment since I was young. Jesus says, "Uh, but there's, there's still one thing. There's one thing you haven't done. I mean you think jesus could ease into this and say listen usually when somebody comes to faith you know god is going to require them to let some things go and i'll give some examples of people who've done that and now they're successful now they're living the good life maybe that's how i would do it i would ease into it jesus said the one thing you haven't done go sell all your stuff and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me i mean i imagine jesus drops that on him and sort of walks like are you coming only he doesn't come, right? And the scripture tells us, and you can probably use your mind's eye to picture the scene, right? Comes humbly to Jesus, asking, what must I do? Jesus ease into it, like, hey, got to keep the rules. He's like, oh, cool. Then Jesus lays this on him. His countenance falls. His feet all of a sudden become heavy, frozen to the ground, Now we can't move. He's stunned. He's struck by the sheer cost. The massive cost of what it actually takes to follow Jesus. Now what is Jesus saying to all of us through this text? That we all have to sell all of our stuff, then like hit the missionary trail, right? Become paupers, get into soup lines in order to fall. No, what Jesus is saying simply is I want total access to your life. I don't want there to be any room of your life, no compartment of your heart that I can't come knocking on and have my way with a moment's notice. And so Jesus is talking less about our stuff and less about our relationships, and he's talking more about a posture of the heart, that our hearts are conditioned to understand that our lives are not our own, that we are, as Rick Warren would say, created by God and for God, the only way our Christian lives make any sense is if we understand that we are all his. John Wimmer, the founder of the vineyard, was was known to say that we are just like spare change in God's pocket. He can spend us however he wants. And so Jesus does not have a fixation on wealth or money. He has a fixation on his heart. To be more specific, he has a fixation on the throne of the heart. And when Jesus peers through this young man's chest, he sees a bag of coins sitting on the throne that belongs to God. He sees money and the status and the comfort and the prestige that it brings sitting on the throne of this young man's heart. And what does Jesus know? That sometimes we don't. That there is no way we will be what God wants us to be but something other than Him sitting on the throne of our hearts. It doesn't matter how noble the thing is. It doesn't matter if, on the on its face, the thing that you're fixated on isn't sinful. If it's on God's throne, He's coming after it. If it's in His chair, He's coming after it. He doesn't care if you have just sweet, sweet grandma. He's coming after His seat. And so what Jesus actually requires of us is everything. And so we talked earlier about the emptying of the hands that faith requires. And so when we ask ourselves the question, when we personalize this question, all of a sudden it is very, very disruptive because Western Christianity can be a very comfortable existence. I often talk about things that are maddening to me uh, as a pastor, and I've talked about two things already. But well, since I'm on a roll, let me just keep going. <laughs> you know, my job is to equip and to mobilize people. It, it's hard to mobilize somebody who 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 is a slave to comfort. It's hard to get the best. I mean, we got some coaches in here, track coaches, football. Coaches. It, it, it's hard to motivate somebody who is a slave to comfort. It's hard to get somebody to hustle and to press toward a goal if they aren't willing to do whatever it takes in order to get there. Am I right, coach? It's hard, right? And so in the same way as a preacher, as I try to coach you toward a more excellent way, coach you toward your best life, coach you toward God's best for you, what is so hard is that we have this, we have this version of faith that is so unlike what Jesus requires our faith costs us nothing we said listen guys we're going to go out and bless the community sign up come to the outreach it's like well how, how hot is it going to be who else going to be out there so let's join a small group it'll bless you will be blessed somebody else well, what night of the week is it on you know I'm kind of tired right let me tell you I love my job But most of the stuff I do, I don't feel like doing. I love it. Wouldn't be doing anything else with my life if I had a choice. Most of the stuff I I have to do, I don't really feel like doing it in the moment. Leading small groups, preaching. Listen, it's usually fine once I get rolling, but right? I mean, you lead small groups and go to small groups. Like, I never feel like going to small groups, Ever. Like, why did I sign? I'm the pastor. They would understand if something came up. <laughs> Hope somebody gets sick so I have to go to the hospital and cancel this thing. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> right? I hardly ever feel like doing what I'm supposed to do. That's why I cannot let my feelings dictate my faith. I cannot let my feelings dictate my my commitment to Jesus because what a commitment is is sticking to what you said you would do long after you stop feeling like it. And so we have this life of faith that costs us. It costs us nothing. We only do what we want to do. We only show up to what we want to show up to. We're only available if it's convenient. And that is just ridiculous. There's no version of real faith that really works that way. And you hear me say it all the time, and it's my job to beat this drum. If your faith isn't putting you out, is it not inconveniencing you, if you don't have to put some of your stuff back on the shelf so that you might put Jesus' stuff in your car, if your faith doesn't ask that of you on a weekly basis, you, you need a new faith. You need a new faith. Because what Jesus required, he went for the jugger, He went right after his most prized possession. Give me, go sell your stuff. Go sell your stuff. Go give it all away. And it tells us that this young man went away sad. There's a reason this baptismal sort of symbol is, is, is a grave There's a reason why you symbolically go under the watery grave and you come out, right? Because Jesus bids us to do what? To come and be happy? To come and to swing in the hammock of faith and sip, you know, cold drinks with little umbrellas? No, he, he, he bids us to what? Come and die. To come and die. Jesus says plainly in Luke chapter 23, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life willfully for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost and destroyed? Jesus says it's, 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 the, the kingdom is upside down. It's real unconventional. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want the good life, you've got to willfully lay down your old life. On the other hand, if you try to keep a hold of your, 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 your own thing, your own way in your life, then you'll lose your life. That, that's totally upside down from how we naturally think. Jesus says, come and die. That's what Jesus actually requires of me and you. But I think there's a fourth and really, really important question that gets really, really personal. It comes down your row. It hovers over your seat. It looks you in the eye. And that question is this, what is your one thing? Hmm? What, what's your one thing? I'll give you a few seconds to think about that. You've probably already been, you know, run, rolling this over uh, in your mind because I re- really believe that if you approach this text in the proper way, that that is what it brings you to this whole sense of if 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 i ran up on jesus and said lord what do you require of me what might he identify now some of you have probably four or five or six things but my in my experience it, it, it's usually one thing with a couple of things surrounding it right so some of you if you're honest Your one thing would be money, right? Pursuit of the American dream. If you consider all of your decisions and how you position yourself and all of your relationships, how you relate to the world around you, if you sort of do digging all the way down to the root of that, it is surrounding money and getting more of it. If I just ask you, hey, what what do you need in your life? What would make your life better? He said, man, if I just had a little bit more. You talk to millionaires, billionaires. You say, what would make your life more complete? I just need a a little bit more. One more billion and I'll be set. And some of you may be far from millionaires and billionaires, but your life is driven by the pursuit of wealth, money, and more of it. And if you're honest with Jesus today, that, that pursuit hasn't done you any favors. Hadn't done you any favors. Others of you, there would be a person, a relationship, or the idea of a relationship that sits on the throne of your heart that is all-consuming. And what this typically looks like is that you can fly straight. You can make good decisions. You could be devoted to Jesus until that person has something to say about it. Until that person demands your time until that person's opinion of you starts to complicate life. Some of us have a person other than Jesus sitting on our thrones. Maybe it's our significant others. Maybe it's somebody we we would like to be our significant others. Maybe it's a little children, three or four of them, crawling around on Jesus' throne that can cause you to live a life that, that worships them. Maybe it's your mother, oh, your father, sweet maybe it's your nana, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's somebody who has their 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 you know influence in your life has grown larger than the things have got. maybe that's what he would come after today, right? Maybe it's your looks or your attractiveness you're consumed. I was in the mall the other day, and I just passed you know everybody you know just. In, in their phone, like it's a mirror, just, you know, taking little selfies in the mirror, like, like lining, like all the mirrors I walked past, somebody was, you know, and that's cool, we want to look good, I mean, this just doesn't happen, I just don't wake up this way, this, right? <laughs> Nothing wrong with looking good, <laughs> that's, that wasn't that funny, Jordan, but But an over-occupation with how we come off to other people, our attractiveness. I mean, we can go on down the list, right? Our rights. God, you're good and everything, but don't tell me what to do with my body. Don't tell me who I can fall in love with. Don't talk to me about sexual orientation. Don't talk to me about marriage. Don't talk to me. You don't get to say anything about those things uh, because what sits on the throne of my heart are my rights. I'm a man. I'm a woman. And I get to say, and I have the only say about this. And Jesus said, man, this ain't going to work out because I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of stuff to say about all the stuff you said I can't say something about. You understand what I'm saying to you? And we can go on down the list, kids. You want to be popular, want to be liked, and you're a good kid until that kid asks you to do something. Or that kid, uh, you need to impress that kid, and it can make you do things that are totally counter to what you know to do. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about. And on down the list we go. The question isn't for me to answer, it's for me to ask, it's for you to answer, what would be your one thing? What would be your one thing? And I have found that to the degree that we can usually deal with that one thing, usually that puts us on a path to being available to jesus and not just available to him but to granting him that total access which is what he really requires but here's the deal this requires that you believe that jesus is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do and that who you are is who he says you are it requires what faith Because this is a tall order. I don't want to trivialize this as preachers often do. Just give Jesus your whole life. Just surrender all of your decisions to him. Quit your job if he tells you to quit your job. Break up with that person if he tells you to. Listen, these are hard things. I don't want to trivialize this. But what faith kicks in is that I have to believe that Jesus, though I can't see it, that Jesus has something better for me than I can manufacture for myself. That his plans and his purposes are for his glory and my good, and I have to trust and surrender my way and my will to him. This is the essence of faith. Faith and salvation is grant, me, granted to those who what? Believe. Receive and as we talked about last week, what? Respond. Respond. But I haven't seen this happen unless we adequately, forcefully, deliberately deal with what? Our idols, those things that sit on the throne of our hearts. Listen, what we've asked people to do this morning uh, by coming to the baptismal font is to symbolize that they have made these decisions. Symbolize that they have at least began the journey of opening the locked doors of our hearts and saying, Jesus, you can look in there now. Jesus, I see you got your moving truck. You, you can move your stuff in. And Jesus, if, if the stuff I already have in the room of my heart that isn't compatible with the decor that you're looking for, or if your stuff doesn't quite fit because some of my old stuff is in there, Lord, I give you the freedom. I got to look away. I mean, I'm imagining that hoarder show where they just got to take grandma, they got to take her off site because she's putting stuff off, she's taking stuff off the truck and putting it back, right? Lord, I'm just going to leave for a minute. So you can take out of there what you need to take out of there. I want your stuff to be moved in. This is what, this is what, right? And so this doesn't come about by any pressure. I'm not here to preach you into the tub or to coax you into the tub. And so some of you maybe came to get baptized today, and you're like, oh, if that's what this is about, then I'm going to wait. <laughs> maybe I'll be there next time. And that's cool, right? But a couple people have made that decision that we know about. And I'm really blessed that some of them are our kids, SSV kids, who have reached the age where they say, I want to I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. Let me say to you, if you are here and you say, you know what, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm at that place of surrender. That, that sounds good. That sounds like where I'm at. I want, to, I want to publicly declare that. I want to celebrate that decision uh, with this beautiful body of believers. If that's you today, I welcome you to join in the baptism festivities. You say, listen, I didn't bring any clothes. That's cool. We got clothes out there. We got towels and extra stuff. If you want to make that decision, Let's, let's go ahead and do that. So here's how uh, baptisms are going to work today. We are going to con- uh, conclude the message portion of this, and we're going to begin a, a time of worship. And during that time of worship, our baptism candidates were going to exit that door, and there some larger bathrooms over there where they can change into their baptism clothes. If you have made a decision today that you'd like to be baptized, uh, Ramon right here, Ramon, would you raise your hand? Our student ministries uh, coordinator, he uh, will, has a few questions for you, and he'll show you where you can go in order to get that uh, taken care of. And so we'll do a couple of songs, and then we'll give anybody who's being baptized an opportunity to just share a few words, and then we'll continue with worship while we baptize uh, these folks. And so, again, there's no pressure, but let me just say to, to, to the rest of us, uh, maybe you had a hard time coming up with the answers to these questions, and this is, this is a take-home exam. You can actually take this home and finish it and wrestle with this in your time with the Lord this week. And um, uh, the challenge, of course, is to respond. To ask the Lord, what, what, what must I do? When I discover the answer to these questions, when I carefully assess where I am, who I am, well, what do you want me to do how do you want me to respond? Some of you, your lives are just comfortable. You realize your faith doesn't cost you nothing but about an hour and a half on Sunday. And you said, Lord, surely you want me to go deeper than this. My charge to you is to let the Spirit move you toward action so that you can go all in and in your heart give it all away. Worship team, you can come up as I close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hard truths that you present to us. Lord, life with you can be so uncomfortable, so challenging, but Father, we trust you. We believe that your plan for us is good, that your intentions are good, and that the life that you have for us is far better than anything we can come up with on on our own. And Father, for those of us who are stubborn, for those of us who are struggling in our faith, struggling to trust you with our lives, struggling to trust you with our resources, struggling uh, to trust you with our relationships, Jesus, I pray that by your spirit you would move us to a place of trust, belief, and response. Come, Holy Spirit, do what you do best. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen.